Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. They make sophisticated non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. An amazing way to still have a drink with friends without feeling like you're missing out. Stay in high spirits. Keep a clear mind. Head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Lindsay from Victoria. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and bravely sharing your story. So you're down in Victoria. Are you in lockdown at the moment? Uh, We've just got out of lockdown. So that's nice. So yeah, looking forward to looking forward to going to a cafe more than anything. Um, Just having a nice coffee, something nice that I wouldn't make for myself at home, reading a book, just all that simple stuff, those little things that I really miss in lockdown. That's what I'm really looking forward to. I I think that's one of the main draws from this whole experience is those little things, just like, like you say, just going to a cafe or, you know, going to a playground with the kids or those little things Mm -hmm. that you kind of miss. I could totally, we, I think we had one week out of lockdown and then we went back in, in the Byron Shire, pretty shitty, but we're in a good, you know, we're lucky. 
we live in a great place. So lots to be grateful for. So um, would you mind sharing with our um, audience about your journey with alcohol and how you got started and where it led you? Sure. Um, So I do call myself an alcoholic and that's not something that carries any shame or discomfort for me anymore. It's just a fact of life for me um, these days. Um, but I started drinking, I started drinking quite young and, you know, uh, my parents gave me very small, moderate amounts of alcohol from a very young age. And that was really, that was really considered to be a normal and responsible thing for them to do at that time. And it was, you know, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. I grew up in a very normal, safe home, but I immediately and instinctively knew that this substance was something I wanted more of, you know, from from a very, very young age. And um, as many of us do, I started to, you know, get a little bit more freedom and a little bit more room for experimentation around the age of 14, 15, and that's when I really started drinking in earnest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people, I think uh, problems with alcohol, um, come slowly over time, develop slowly over time. And I've heard many stories like that. That is not my experience. Um, You know, I would have, you could have called me an alcoholic from the very first time I got drunk. You know, the very first time I got drunk, I, um, I got drunk with another girl who ended up having to go to hospital for alcohol poisoning. And uh, as she was, you know, carted off in the ambulance, all I could think was, I can't get in trouble for this because if I do, I won't be able to do it again. You know, <laughs> that's the that's the reaction I had to alcohol from from day dot. And um, you know, and I, I said a second ago, drinking problems, but it really didn't feel like a problem to me at that time, or for quite a few years afterwards. Wow. So, how old were you at that stage when you? Yeah, I was 14 then. Yeah. Sorry, you're right, 14. Yeah, wow, wow. Okay. And so, and how old were you when your parents were giving you the alcohol? Um, oh, they would just let me have, you know, a miniature glass of wine when mm. I was maybe 12 or something like that. Um, they'd have a glass of wine each at the table and they'd really have more than one or two. They were very moderate drinkers, but they'd give, they'd, you know, have those little miniature port glasses and they'd half fill it up with wine. And I'd be allowed to have that with my dinner. And, you know, they were just trying to make me feel included and, and you know, enjoy something nice with me. It was, yeah, in the spirit of this is a nice thing we can do as a family together, have a lovely dinner and you can have a tiny glass of wine even though you're 12. And I think today that probably sounds a bit shocking to some people, but there was no knowledge at the time of what alcohol can do to people's brains, you know, under the age of 18. And I loved it. I thought it was great. I felt special. Yeah. Uh, do you have European background? I don't. Oh, well, I mean, Western European. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not the exotic Italian type. Yeah, I, I yeah. just asked this because once when we travelled through Italy with my daughter Sonny's mm-hmm. godfather, where we went, we I stayed with some of his family throughout Italy and they were wanting to give Sonny, who, my daughter at the time, who was probably four, wanting to give her wine. Mm. And wine yeah. with um, lemonade, things like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Even... <laughs> Even drunk with me could say, ah, no, no, no. And they were like, but that's what we do, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, I know. I, I had the same experience. I, I went to the south of France and I was there. I was a teenager. I was 16 years old and I was staying with a host family and 
It was a beautiful summer's day. The first day I was having lunch with them and we're all sitting outside having this beautiful meal and everyone, including the the 10-year-old, were having a gla- was having a glass of rosé with ice cubes in it, um, just the, the drink with lunch. And it was a huge culture shock to me, but I also thought it was great. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. Cultural thing, isn't it? Wow. So tell me about, so what happened after your friend got carted off for the alcohol poisoning? I hope she was okay. Was she okay? She was. Yeah, she was okay. Um, But that was the first, the first sort of experience that I had of getting as, of drinking the way that I enjoyed to drink because I never enjoyed having one or two drinks. I enjoyed the effect that alcohol produced for me when I had a lot to drink. Uh, And I'd often set out with the idea of having one or two drinks But then once I started to feel that effect, I craved more of it. And so I drank more to get there. And, you know, that happened, that happened to me, not every time I drank, but almost every time. And so, you know, the next kind of, the next moment that really stands out for me in my memory now, it didn't at the time, but looking back on my drinking now, and I was about 16 years old. And I remember being at a house party with some friends and we were all drinking and I drank a lot of vodka and I was lying on the, veranda, the back veranda of my friend's house, too drunk to move. And all I could think was, I really need to sober up a bit so I can get up and get another drink. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow. That is so early to be thinking that way, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. And the insane part of that is, you know, that those are my real life experiences. But I was still there 10 years later thinking, there's no way I could be an alcoholic. I'm not bad enough. And I'm sure, you know, there's a, there's a parallel universe where I'm still thinking that today. Plenty of people you know, think that for their whole lives when everyone else can see it. You know, it's like uh, that old saying, when you find out you're an alcoholic, about 10 years after everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> after everyone else realises, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So, what, so talk me through what happened, say, in your 20s, you know, where did it take you, the, the drinking? Yeah, well, at first it took me to wonderful places. You know, in my early years of drinking, I moved out of home very young. I had an incredible time meeting people and living in these crazy shared houses with diverse and eclectic people and doing crazy things and going to beautiful, amazing places. And, you know, <laughs> alcohol was a big part of it. And it was, it was you know, thrilling. And I felt I could talk to anyone and go anywhere and do anything. And it was really magical. But then very quickly it changed and I was alone. I was alone in a boring house with, you know, just me and the booze, kind of just sitting there, no friends, nothing happening because the the uh, importance of getting intoxicated, of getting that ease and comfort that I got from just taking a few drinks became so important to me. Um, that all of that other stuff, the people, the places, the excitement, that, that all became an inconvenience that got in the way. So very quickly, my life got very, very small. But that excitement and joy in the first couple of years of drinking is what I was always trying to recreate. I just could never get back there, you know. So yeah. I think I probably had about two years of fantastic, great fun with alcohol and then about 12 years of just the same boring night over and over again. Wow. So will you tell me about drunk Lindsay? Was she someone that your friends started to kind of step away from because it was a problem or 
were they recognizing that in you that it was problematic or were they kind of going along on the ride with you well I think I chose people to be my friends who would tolerate that behavior you know and I was never I was never totally like aggressive or dangerous or anything like I definitely misbehaved you know I got kicked out of bars I was raucous I was you know um uh obnoxious I guess would be the word like a lot of the time but I chose people that liked that about me and I chose people that were doing the same things to be my close friends and so we we were on that journey together um Mm. but I guess towards the end of my drinking, I didn't really want, I have friends, but I didn't want anyone to be close to me because they were getting in the way, you know. All I wanted was to be left alone so that I could get, you know, if I, I really believed that if you would all just leave me alone with my alcohol and I could just do what I felt I needed to do, then I would be okay. And all of you were getting in the way of that, you know. All of you were buzz. So if they were drinking with you and they were kind of on the same level, how was that getting in the way? Because uh, I guess it's this, it's this really deep addict mentality that and if, you know, if I know deep down, because my experience of drinking was this, I never quite got to the level of drunk I wanted to get to. You know, I never quite got that sense of comfort that it it was always the next drink away. I never quite got there. So I guess deep down I knew that there wasn't really enough alcohol in the universe to quite get me there. So if you were drinking with me, you were drinking some of it, and that meant there wasn't going to be enough for me, you know. (laughs) And it's you know, I know, I know logically, like I'm not an idiot. I know logically I could never consume all of it and that I could go buy more, but it was like this scarcity mentality. You know, um, I, I was always worried about other people drinking at parties, you know, that, that there wouldn't be enough for me because that wow. craving once I started drinking to have more was so intense uh, that I had to be able to satisfy it. Wow. Wow. So how does that feel? Like, so say waking up the next day or even being in that moment of being on your own and trying to whatever it is, that thing that you're chasing and not quite getting there. How does that feel to sit there and be in that? Yeah. Well, in the moment, you know, it felt fine until I ran out. When I ran out of alcohol and the job wasn't done, that's when it felt really uncomfortable and I would go to, you know, ridiculous lengths to get more alcohol. Um, I never really had the guts to be much of a criminal or anything, but I'd get a taxi to the 24-hour bottle shop in the middle of the night, even though I had to get up for work in the morning, stuff like that, things that reasonable people, people with a reasonable attitude towards alcohol don't do. But normally if I had enough, it just felt normal to me. It seemed like a normal life. It's just that I was enjoying a drink and I wanted another one. But then waking up the next morning, you know, it, it, I don't remember this happening in the early years, but I, gosh, I do not miss waking up full of fear, shame and horror, terrified to look at the phone, sick, <laughs> uncomfortable, just aching all over. Like, I do not miss any of that. That was, that was the worst part. And that's why I'd wake up all of those mornings and say, I'm never going to do this again. You know, I'm never going to do this again. And then by that afternoon, it would be, I'm never going to do this except for on the weekends, you know. And then by that evening, it would be, I'm only going to do this a little bit. And then I'd be doing it again. You know, I was trapped in that cycle, but those mornings were horrendous. God. And it doesn't even, we don't even need to say be at your level. 
that bad, but there's so many people, even those people that are getting smashed like that on a Friday or just getting smashed on a Friday and still waking up and going, that's it. I'm never doing that again. And then comes the amnesia and they forget about that, that promise that they made themselves. They forget about how shitty they felt and, and we're back in. And I know because I was one of those people as well, just mm. that you forget and you think, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to have one. And then back you go again. It's that fucked up cycle. It's so mm-hmm. shit. But yeah. yet, yet we give alcohol all this credit. We give it, you know, it's my friend, it's my this, it's my that. And it's so not. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, that's that in- insanity of it, you know, that things that hurt me, I don't normally run back to them to try and make me feel better. You know, like if I, if I've burnt my ear on the hair straightener and it really really hurt so every other time I've straightened my hair I've tried really hard to keep it away from my ears but with alcohol you know it burnt me horribly and I'd go maybe this time it won't you know maybe this time will feel different or I wouldn't think at all like it's just it's it's like I was lacking something mentally to help me make that decision but amnesia I think is the perfect word for it yeah absolutely so on those times where you'd have you'd take yourself to the 24-hour bottle shop and then got to get up for work the next day are you getting up for work and firstly had you slept and secondly how did you function at work yeah well I didn't um (laughs) I I really didn't and um you know towards the end of my drinking it wasn't possible for me to work uh, I was I couldn't be relied upon to show up at a place at a certain time on a regular basis. And, um, you know, the jobs that I did have in the years before that, I would be frequently late or I would be sick and hungover. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to be a reliable person. I wanted to go to bed early and get up early and I just couldn't make it happen. I just could not do it. So at this point, are people starting to notice like is mum and dad noticing or friends noticing that this is becoming a problem for you or you're hiding it there was a few friends who I would um imply to me that I should slow down or stop or things like that um family didn't because I was very very careful to keep it from family um Mm. You know, and and I had all these justifications for that. I wasn't saying to myself, I can't let my family find out I'm an alcoholic. It was, oh, no, it's what I'm doing is fine, but they wouldn't understand. So we we won't let them know. Mm. Or they're unreasonable. They would judge me too much. So they don't need to know. But I Mm. had friends who made comments and things. and But a lot of it also I couldn't hear. I mean, I had one person who when I finally did get sober and I told them, you know, and my recovery has been in Alcoholics Anonymous and I told them I went to Alcoholics Anonymous um, and they said, yeah, I was trying to tell you to do that years ago, you know, and I hadn't yeah. heard that. It didn't yeah. go in. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I just didn't want to hear it yet. You just didn't want to hear it. Wow. So did you have a rock bottom moment where you were like, right, that's it? Or was it just an accumulation of those mornings of waking up, making that promise and then breaking the promise? I guess it was just a final resignation that I could not do this myself because my experience was you know I tried to quit drinking at first when I was about 24 um, and I didn't I didn't actually I I went to AA when I was 28 um, and I've been sober since then in those intervening four years you know I tried so many different things and I really believed you know each time this is what it is I need to do more yoga I need to do more spiritual stuff I need to um, do meditation. I need to get fit and healthy. I need to 
uh, get on this medication. I need more of this or that in my life. You know, it was all these strategies and each Mm. one I believe finally was the breakthrough that was going to do it for me. Mm. And when none of that worked and at 28 years old, I found myself far worse off, you know, physically and mentally than I'd been when I started trying this at 24, you know, because I thought that if I just kept trying and strengthening my willpower, it would get better and I would master this thing, you know, and for some people that might be exactly how it works for them, but that is not how it worked for me. You know, at 28, I was worse. I had less control. I felt, you know, way more hopeless. And I finally was beaten down enough that I, I sort of was just, I realized that I was not going to be able to do this on my own. I needed some kind of guidance or some kind of help. And I didn't know what that would look like or what it would be, but I was finally willing to give it a shot. And that's what it took for me. You know, that's what it took. Um, I couldn't have possibly done something as drastic as, you know, going to, going to a room full of weird people that I didn't know and talking to them about my drinking. I could not have dreamed of doing that at 24. It took those failed attempts to kind of get me ready to go, okay, maybe this crazy, insane, embarrassing, weird idea, maybe that's the thing I have to do. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Were you daily drinking at that point? I wasn't. I no, I, I was never a daily drinker. I would um, I would usually drink every second day because, you know, I, I got into the cycle and there were times when I, I was drinking more often and less often, but I, you know, towards the end I was in this cycle where I would wake up after drinking sick and horrified and I would swear off and I would be so sick that day I wouldn't even dream of taking a drink. Then the next day I'd wake up and I'd start to feel better. And in the morning I'd say, great, now I can get some stuff done. You know, I can, I can get stuff done around the house. I'll feel great. And then maybe on the weekend I'll have a drink. But by that night, the fear and the shame was gone and I was drinking again, sometimes without even realizing it, you know, it was just, it was like muscle memory at that point. So yeah, it was every second day, like clockwork towards the end. Wow. Okay. So just take me to, I've got so many questions, but leading up to going, taking that step to go to the 12 step program, how was it for you? Like on the way there or the the night before, what, what got you across the line other than just those failed attempts? Yeah. So I remember it was a Wednesday night and I said to my boyfriend at the time, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he said, yeah, no shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, um, cause I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd said that to him before as well, but I'd forgotten it's that amnesia, you know, the magical amnesia and it had hit home for me again, all over. And it was a Wednesday night and I bought a few bottles of wine and I was having a few drinks, just getting started for the night, but there was no joy in it. You know, there was no excitement in it. It was misery. I knew what was going to happen. I was going to drink way more than I wanted to. That's why I had to buy several bottles. I couldn't just buy one that would, you know, that's just a guarantee that I'm going to have to take that taxi to the to the all night bottle. But um, and I, after I'd had a few drinks, I messaged a friend who I knew was in AA because she had posted about it on Facebook. Um, and I don't believe that she is anymore. I think she's you know moved on with her life. But um, she, you know, for that little period of time, she was in AA, and I asked if she would take me to a meeting, and she said yes, that she would take me to a meeting on the Friday night. So that Wednesday night, I got absolutely like I, I went to the oblivion of drinking. It was disgusting, um, and I was just so unwell. Uh, that Thursday that I didn't even dream of 
having a drink. Um, and on the Friday, I um, I went to that meeting with her and I got home and I sort of got out of my car and I wobbled in the driveway going, well, what do I do now, you know? And I just thought to myself, well, what if I, what if I don't? What if I just go to bed? And so I just went to bed that night. Wow. And that's my sobriety date. I haven't had a drink or any kind of mind-altering substance since then, um, which is unbelievable because, you know, two days was off the table for me before that time. That is huge. And I'm assuming that you would have had the, I call it the sneaky bitch, come in and say, come on, but, you you know, you don't really need this, you know. Did you have those? Yeah. So, wow, that's... Yeah, I I would be driving because I went to meetings every day at first because that's what they told me to do. And I was desperate. I was desperate. And I had nothing else going on because I couldn't work. And, you know, I didn't want people around me. You know, I had basically isolated myself to the point where this was all I had to do was go to these meetings and ask these people for help. And I could see that it was working for them. So I just did it. But I'd be in the car going to a meeting and half of my brain would be saying to me, this is such an overreaction. This is this is so unreasonable. You do not need to be going to, seriously, an AA meeting. You do not need to be ridiculous. Other half of my brain would be saying, oh, God, please don't let me drink again. Please don't let me drink again. Go to this thing. Hang on tight. God, help me. Don't let me drink again. Those two mm-hmm. voices simultaneously were going on for the first three or so months. Um, and it was terrifying, but you know, I guess I, I guess I heard enough in those meetings to tell me, you know, from the common experience of other alcoholics who had recovered that if I had like no non-alcoholic ever has those two voices going on at once, you know, no normal person is sitting out there, a normal person with a healthy relationship to alcohol, none of us are normal, but with a healthy relationship to alcohol is sitting out there going, oh, God, please don't let me drink. Oh, well, there's no big deal about drinking. No one, they're not having that back and forth in their head. They just drink or they don't. It's their choice, you know. You must have been really scared. Like I'm assuming you got to a place before you got to the AA where you must have been quite terrified of, you know, how your life had landed. I was scared of getting found out, which was delusional because I already had been found out. You know, everyone knew. And I hang on, I hang on to this delusion that I was presenting as this, functional person that was doing okay but you know uh if that if I was I felt as though it was about to all fall apart and everyone was going to find out that I was a drunk and that this was happening to me but the truth is everybody knew uh but I'm glad that I was deluded because it was that fear of getting found out that drove me to the solution wow later I found out like oh yeah okay I was not doing a good job of hiding it I'm glad I thought I was. Yeah. Wow. So tell me, what was the missing link for you that, what did AA deliver for you that you hadn't quite found before in your other, the other ways that yeah. you tried to quit? Does that make sense? When I first stopped drinking and I was going to meetings, you know, I drank, I did not drink because I was bored or because I was miserable or I drank because I had to, you know, I didn't know that until I stopped. When I stopped, you know, it felt as though there was this big gaping hole in me, this massive open wound, and I was in so much pain just trying to be alive. 
and I felt as though drinking was a biological imperative. Like I was trying to hold my breath and at any minute I was going to take a gasp of air and all would be lost. Um, that's how I felt. And the only relief I got from that, you know, I was very lucky in AA at, at four days sober, a woman approached me. She had four months of sobriety. She had done the steps and she offered to take me through the steps. And I said, yes. And we started meeting up once a week and reading through the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which, you know, the fellowship is named after the book. And um, she would show me how she had done the steps and, and that's what I did. And I was terrified because there's, you know, a lot of stuff in the steps is quite drastic. I was terrified of it, but I was even more terrified of that feeling, you know, that impending doom that I was going to drink again and I knew it was going to kill me. You know, if not mercifully quickly, then horribly slowly. I, I could feel that, you know, there was no fun left in that solution for me but I needed something to take the edge off the way I felt 24-7. And I got these little crumbs of relief going through the steps. Um, and then when I got, when I got, I was about three and a half months sober, when I got about, you know, two-thirds of the way down my amends list in step nine. So, you know, that's, so we have the house cleaning steps, which is steps four through nine, um, and we do a lot of work in those steps to really clean up the past and the mistakes that we've made. And they're the things that are the most terrifying for any newcomer that comes in. They were for me because it involves, you know, approaching and making amends for, to people that I've harmed. Horrifying idea, right? Just horrendous. And I would never have done it if I thought there was any other way out of this for me. Um, <laughs> but I had this moment when I was about two thirds of the way down that amends list when I realized that boot on the neck impending doom I'm about to be crushed I have to take a drink feeling was gone and I could not remember the last time I'd had it like I could remember incidences of having it but I just hadn't thought about having a drink for a while maybe a couple of weeks it has never come back that feeling has never come back I have not had to fight it wrestle with it negotiate with it ever again since that moment. And that's not to say that it hasn't been tough or complicated or that there have been bad times and, like, absolutely there have been bad times and good times and painful times. But that crushing, impending doom feeling of I'm about to drink and I can't stop myself has never come back from that time. So that is what I would call the big turning point for me. Wow. For someone like you who felt it was a biological need to drink, if you can get there, it is possible for people. Um, and it's just finding, I guess, finding your path. If I can say one thing, you know, um, it says in our AA literature that we have no monopoly. It says we have no monopoly on God. And when it says God, it means a spiritual solution to alcoholism. And I read that as saying we have no monopoly on this recovery business. We just have a solution that's worked for us. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I would really encourage people, and I do encourage people, to follow their conscience. but. Um, to keep an open mind to whatever it might be because there are people out there that have had incredible recovery journeys in all sorts of different ways and this is the one that has worked for me and I love it and I hope I never let it go in my life. I hope that it you know, remains at the centre of my life for as long as I live um, but it's a matter for each person to kind of explore through their own experience. Yeah, absolutely. So what, okay, on a day-to-day -day practical level for people that are listening that may be in as bad a situation as you were or, or less, who are struggling with the day-to-day -day of they want to quit, 
and they're getting triggered left, right and centre. You know, they're stressed at the moment. There's triggers all around right now. The sun's starting to come out. How did you go about those, especially in the early days when you felt like the drink? What did you do? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. Um, uh, In those early days, I remember, you know, in the first, because I got sober at the end of June in 2018, and in a couple of months, the sun started coming out and it was gorgeous. And my housemates were sitting in the backyard drinking a cold beer. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Smoking a joint and I looked out at them and went, I'm going to go to an AA meeting, you know, and I would go out to, I would go out to these meetings and I'd have fellowship with other women. We'd go out for dinner before the meeting and uh, have coffee and um, chat and have laughter and conversations. And then we'd go to the meeting and then we'd all chat afterwards. And it was, it was just this wonderful social experience that I really didn't feel that I was missing out on anything. And I, I did have those moments in the early days because, you know, I got I got sober in a house that was full of alcohol. Everyone drank that I lived with. Wow. There was open containers of alcohol around me all the time. But yeah. I really wanted this thing. So, you know, I, would, I did what I was taught to do in AA. I got on my knees and prayed to doesn't matter what it is, you know. I call it God, but doesn't matter. Pray to anything, anything at all to, to keep me sober is what I would do. I would call other people in the fellowship. You know, I would take actions. I was very quickly taught, you know, the best thing I can be thinking about is anything other than myself. You know, if I'm sitting there thinking about, oh, gosh, I'm feeling this desire to drink, it's hurting me, you know, the best thing I can do is call somebody else and ask how they're going. And by taking those actions that I did not believe would work for me, things began to change. And it was described to me a bit like this. Um, you know, if you go to a gym and you lift weights every day, uh, you're going to get stronger. If you go to a gym and lift weights every day and you don't believe in protein synthesis and you've got a shitty attitude, but you do it anyway, you still get stronger. You know, I could get on my knees and pray and think it's dumb. I could call someone and not really care. But if I took those actions my mindset changed bit by bit. Um, and you know, these days, triggers aren't a problem in my life. You know, I can be around alcohol. I can be around people who are drinking. I can walk past the pubs on a gorgeous sunny day. And that, you know, I may even have the thought of drinking, but that thought has no power behind it. Like it, it once had great power over me to make me do that. And now there is no power, you know. Um, it's just a thought and I can just let it go. 
I love what you just said. I just had this yes moment when you said like, even if you thought it was a dumb idea and even if, you know, you just thought, I don't even care why I'm ringing this, but I'm doing it because that's what I've been told to do. And it's just so awesome because so many people, if we offer advice or we give strategies and they're not Mm -hmm. using the strategies, it's like it isn't going to work. Just try the stuff. Just try and go from experience what's worked. You know, not everything is going to work, but if someone's been through what you've been through and they're saying, give this a go, give it a go. It can't, you know, it can't hurt to try, yeah? Exactly right. And, you know, today I still do that stuff all the time. And it's not about the alcohol for me anymore because I hardly ever think about alcohol. It rarely crosses my mind. But I have other problems in my life. You know, people at work annoy me or, um, you know, something. Thing, something happens with relationships or friends or family and, and I still get those, those simple actions of things that I don't want to do, like do something kind for someone without getting found out or call someone and ask how their day was. Those small actions that in the moment I always think that's not going to help, that's just a pain, it's a distraction, I don't have time for it. You know, I just, if I get over myself and do it, inevitably it gets a result, inevitably. Oh my God. Get over yourself and do it. I love that. This should be a new t-shirt. It's like, I think I'm going to start a t-shirt company with like these slogans. Cool. So I would true. wear that. <laughs> yeah. Get, yeah, absolutely. It's about getting over yourself, isn't it? Getting out, like Lyndall always says, and you know, Lyndall, getting out of your own head, you know, get mm. out of your own head, go and help someone else. And it's mm-hmm. always worked for me as well. And I think that's, I mean, there's so many great gems from the the 12-step program, but that is one of the great gems, I think, you know, is just to get out of your own head, help someone else and stop thinking, stop the focus on yourself sometimes and just be of service, do something else. Yeah. Yeah. It was put to me as, you know, you can't change your actions by your thinking, but you can change your thinking by your actions. You know, I can, uh, I was probably put better than that. I don't know if that made complete sense, but it's by showing up, doing the thing, going to the place, being on time, calling someone, helping someone, then my mind starts to catch up slowly. You know, I used to think I had to convince my mind to be totally on board before I could do the thing, you know, and then and then people started telling me in this recovery business, you can just do it. You can be full of fear and you can not want to do it and you can be uncomfortable and you can just do it anyway and see how you feel after. Um, and that was revolutionary to me. I had no idea you could do things you didn't feel like doing, you know. Absolutely, yes. Only doing the things that I felt like doing had left me in this very small life where, you know, I didn't answer the phone because I was anxious about being on the phone and I didn't have a job because I didn't want to get up early and go to work. And, you know, all, all I could do was kind of just this really small things and by pushing my boundaries doing uncomfortable things facing fears my life has got really big today and mm. I do think I can't believe that I get to do now yeah that's so amazing I'm so stoked to hear that I'm so happy and I can see the stoke and I'm yeah. sure I can hear the stoke and it's absolutely beautiful <laughs> yeah so with that earlier times too like being in a shared house with people that are drinking and you know you're off to a meeting did it feel lonely in those times or did the connection with the other people override that feeling? I think the excitement of the early days of recovery was so consuming. You know, honestly, I didn't really have time to think about anything else. And, you know, there were these incredible highs where I'd 
I'd gone to a meeting and I'd talked to someone or, you know, I talked to someone who had a little less time up than me and I'd helped them out somehow. And I would, and I would come home and my housemates would be drinking and I wouldn't care. You know, I'd think, wow, you guys, this is incredible. I've found it. You know, I've hit the jackpot. Um, wow. Then there would be other times where I would be full of misery and self-pity and this is so unfair and why can't I drink? I'm so lonely. I'm so sad. But even that was kind of exciting in a way because I was feeling for the first time because I'd numbed everything out for so many years. Oh, my God. I love what you just said, feeling for the first time. How mm. beautiful. Like how beautiful. And part of the, the program that I take people through is learning how to feel your feelings and feeling mm. it in your body, feeling it, really feeling it because that's what we don't do, do we? Like when we're using alcohol as our mm. crutch, we're not feeling our feelings anymore. We're just trying yes. to drown it out and drown it out and drown it out and push it away. But part of this whole yeah. process is to learn to start feeling and Fuck, it sucks sometimes. It fucking sucks. Yeah. It's not all roses. But yeah, well, you know. Well, something really strange happened to me that that reminds me of. You know, when I when I first got sober, I became less functional for a while because I was so used to using alcohol as the fuel for me to get done what I needed to do. You know, I felt crappy, so I'd have a few drinks, then I could clean the house. You know, so so when I didn't have that anymore, it was like. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do the dishes. I couldn't cook a meal. I could, like, I could barely do anything. And, and I, 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 you know, sort of thought, gosh, is this what I'm going to be like? Am I really going to be this dysfunctional? Maybe I'm better off drinking. And I'm so glad that I stuck with it because, you know, I've got a, a much better level of gin today. But it was that suddenly having to feel and think and be present for all of these, these feelings and events and emotions, like, was absolutely overwhelming until I sort of learned how to handle it. But also in the longer time frame, it's still a journey that I'm on today of like, oh, here are the ways that I'm still running away from this feeling. And this crazy thing I've learned is that no feeling can kill you. You just think they can, you know, being afraid, being anxious, being lonely, being sad, those things won't kill you. They're really painful. They're really powerful, but they can't kill you. And um, I've sort of learned that the only way through that stuff for me is to just sit there and feel it, um, which I would go to any lengths to avoid before. Yeah, I know. Just to welcome the feelings as shit as they can be, just to be with them. Don't judge them. Mm. Don't push them away. Just let them be there. Welcome. I, you know, all feelings are welcome here mm. in this body, with my body I'm talking about, because yeah. I want to feel them. I want to feel it and I want to tap into the wisdom that those feelings are giving me as well because there's so much to learn in those feelings. Mm. Um, yeah. So how, you know, when you were feeling the overwhelm initially, How did you cope with that? Did you get some extra therapy? Did you journal? Like how did you get through those feelings of overwhelm? I didn't seek any sort of outside help or therapy because I quickly, it quickly became revealed to me. You know, I came into AA with all of these, I had a laundry list of diagnoses of of mental health and physical health problems. And in, you know, those first six months of recovery where I couldn't cook a meal and I couldn't, um, I couldn't wash the dishes and I could barely get anything done apart from showing up to meetings and doing step work and doing those things. It really started to become clear that I did not have 
as many problems as I thought. I really just had one problem expressed in many different ways, you know, that the act of not just the physical consequences of drinking the way that I drank, but the emotional, mental and spiritual consequences of behaving the way that I behaved, suppressing the feelings for as long as I did, denying myself every opportunity for personal growth and and to be able to take responsibility and behave like an adult. Like it was, it was, um, those were the real problems in my life. And those appeared on the outside, like uh, severe mental illness and physical illness. And and many people have those things legitimately alongside the alcohol and, and, or drug problem that, you know, and and absolutely, if that's, if that's something that someone has, they should seek the right professional assistance for that. But for me, I found that those things resolve themselves to a massive degree just by doing the work of recovery that I was doing in the 12 step fellowship. Um, And um, so, you know, I found that by throwing myself into that recovery work and making that the main focus of my life, all that stuff started to kind of unwind, unfurl slowly, bit by bit, I was able to show up more and more. Um, And, you know, I can't remember the last time I even thought about those problems, you know, they're just not an issue in my life anymore. But I mean, I also know people in recovery who have got, um, uh, you know, mental health issues that are pervasive and are never going to go away, but they've become much easier to manage without the beast alcoholism on their back, you know. <laughs> oh, God, I love your energy towards this. It's so it's so beautiful. Did your friends, in seeing that energy that you have, did your friends think and your family think you're in some weird cult? I'm sure they did, but I think, <laughs> yeah. And I think um, I know that when I talk to my parents about what I do in AA, because I do a lot in AA, I'm very active because that's, I find that the more I do in AA, paradoxically, the more time and energy I seem to have for everything else I want to do in life. Um, and so when I tell them all about it and, you know, I've, I've found my mum kind of looks at me askance, like it's, it's as if she's saying with her eyes, I don't like the sound of this thing that you do but I like the effect it's having on you, so I'm not going to say anything, you know. (laughs) Um, It's just a little bit of scepticism, and I totally get that because um, from an outside perspective, it does sound insane. I do, like, I think that, and it is insane. It's insane until you've lived it and experienced it and gone, oh, wow, turns out that this insane thing is the only thing that works for me. I'm sure that, you know, friends of mine, have thought that I, it's weird that I'm, you know, in this spiritual thing that, you know, we stand around in a circle at the end of the meeting and hold hands and say the serenity prayer. Yeah, that is pretty freaking weird if I'm honest. You know? <laughs> I've also had, you know, the people that have known me a long time have seen the change in me. And I think, I think that speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So at the, at you're 31 years old, how does the thought of like you've got this whole life ahead of you, does it ever freak you out about thinking, wow, a whole life without alcohol or never getting cheersing at my wedding, you know, with champagne? When I first came to AA, I thought thought to myself, okay, this is it. The rest of my life is going to be a dull grey expanse. There will be no joy or release anymore, but that's what I'll have to settle for because I can't handle my drinking. So I'm just going to have to live in the grey and grind through the misery, and that will be my life. You know, that's what I really thought was in store for me when I gave up alcohol or any other substance to kind of take the edge off. 
but I was willing to go with that because, you know, the misery that drinking was causing me was so bad that I thought, that's it, I'll just give up all joy and be miserable forever. That has not been my experience of recovery. You know, my experience of recovery has been um, a roller coaster ride, like amazing highs and lows and excitement and friendships and growth and personal development. And, you know, every month that goes by, I look on who I was a month ago and go, wow, I've grown so much, you know, and I make mistakes, but I learn from them today. I didn't do that in the past. You know, for, for almost 12 years, every day of my life was more or less the same. You know, I would wake up sick, I would have a day off, then I would drink the next day. It was every day was the same. I didn't go anywhere, I didn't do anything, I didn't grow, I didn't change. And now life is so exciting. Yeah. Um, and I have, you know, all this stuff is happening as a result of my recovery, like just all these experiences, getting to do interests that I never had time for because I was, you know, too busy just trying to survive, you know. All that is happening and I just, the thought that I'm missing out, just it absolutely does not come to me anymore. It definitely did at the start, but now, you know, it, it has not been that expansive grey. It's like finally the lights are on, we're in full colour, you know. It's like... <laughs> finally I get to be here and live like when I was drinking I'll put it like this when I was drinking I used to sit there and watch people get up early you know I'd still be up um, and I would hear the neighbors getting up getting the kids ready for school making breakfast going off to work I'd hear them come home at you know 5 30 start making dinner do the laundry I'd hear that the rhythms of life and I would think there must be something horribly wrong with those people if they can just do that day after day and, you know, live that dull, boring, don't they know something's wrong, you know, because something was wrong with me and I couldn't live like that. Mm. And I can honestly say today that the day-to-day rhythm of living and of slow, interesting growth through life in a, you know, kind and responsible way is absolutely satisfying and joyful to me like the joy that I get from showing up to work doing my job well coming home cooking dinner going to bed early helping others going to meetings like I enjoy that so much more than I enjoyed you know the the crazy early years of my drinking it's a different kind of joy but it's so much more valuable and if I could have heard myself you know if 18 year old me would have heard me saying that I probably would, I would have been horrified. You know, I would have thought, wow, how could you possibly be that lame? You know, but um, the the peace and satisfaction that I have in my life as a result of recovery today is so valuable to me that I I really hope I get to get, get to live like this for the rest of my life. I don't feel I'm missing a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I can so relate. It's like the lights went on. When you said that, I just, yes, I got goosebumps because I'm like, I can totally relate. It's like the Mm -hmm. little, my good friend, Lissy Turner, who's been on this podcast as well a few times. I remember her saying to me once, it's like all the little nuances in life, you start to notice them, which they were all dulled out before. And when you're going in it with a great attitude, like you've got like this attitude of I'm giving myself something great, I'm learning, I'm expanding, I'm growing as a human, rather than, oh, I'm missing out, you know, I wish I could drink. If you can go at it with the attitude like what you've got, everything changes, everything opens up, life expands, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible how much 
life can change in ways that you do not expect if you're just willing to go on the journey. Yes. Um, I never thought my life would be like, like I never thought my life would be like this. And three years, you know, I've only been in recovery for three years. It's an incredibly long time when you can't stay sober for three days, but in the scheme of your life, it is not a long time. And, you know, it's, so exciting to me to see what the future could hold if if the changes that are going to come in the rest of my life are anything like what I've had over these three years. Yeah. Like I cannot predict what it will be like. And that is so much more exciting than a night out on the town. Oh my God. Yes. Oh yes. Yes, yes, yes. Love you. I feel the (laughs) same. Like where my life has ended up now, um, I can't even, I'm just, I just scratch my, I'm just like, wow, how, and I'm so grateful that, Mm. you know, all the opportunities and what I do and the, you know, what I'm learning. I just think I'm so grateful for this and I never could have imagined it. And it's, it's not until if you just, if you, if you're worried about, if you're worried about your drinking and you're worried about how life will look, uh, you, you and I can both promise promise people that if you just go at it with a great attitude and just give it all you've got life will change in the the best way possible yeah yeah and and you know I thought that having to give up drinking was the worst thing that could ever happen to me you know it felt like the end of the world because it was the only thing that gave me peace and joy I thought I, I thought my life was over it was the best thing that could have happened to me the absolute best thing and so now you know that what an experience that the worst thing in your life turns out to be the best thing in your life you know I'm so grateful for the way I get to live today and that wouldn't happen if I didn't have to quit drinking because I was an alcoholic you know Um, and so now anytime like the way that that sets me up for future experiences of pain is incredible you know Like I thought that, you know, I recently went through a relationship breakdown, which was the most painful experience that I had ever had. It was so painful. But I know from experience that a moment of great pain, I may look back on it and go, thank God it happened the way it did because it took me to where I am now, you know. Like I feel so lucky to have had that experience to the point where I used to think, being an alcoholic was the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me. And why me, you know, why me universe? Why did you make me like this? And now I think, you know, I say it in my, in my morning meditations, like, thank you for making me an alcoholic because now I get to live for this way of life that I never would have found otherwise. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, I so agree. I so agree with everything you just said. And I, I believe too, that if you're, like people listening, if they're feeling like they they have to stay this way or they can't break the cycle, I think you are testament to that with someone who had felt like they had a biological need to drink. If you mm-hmm. can change, you know, if you could do it, it's possible. You know, it is possible to change. I think it all comes down to your attitude and what you put into your recovery, your own, however that looks, however your recovery yeah. looks. Really go at it with some enthusiasm and and just be grateful for the road that you've traveled so far and the road that's mm. lying ahead for you, you know, it's certainly possible. So if you, Lindsay, like if thinking of you, if you hadn't have quit drinking, where do, where do you feel like life would be for you now? Well, you know, where I'm at today is that I have a job that I love, um, really a career. You know, I thought I might get a job, but I never thought I'd have a career towards the end of my drinking. It was at the start of my drinking 
thing I thought I'd have an incredible career but um that you know that got lowered and lowered that expectation over the years and and I was you know but um you know I thought if I could get a part-time retail job that would be incredible you know but the reality is I couldn't even do that because I could not show up not because I wasn't smart enough not because I didn't have the skills but I just could not show up to life, you know. I could not be relied upon to be where I needed to be and to do what I said I was going to do. I have a peaceful, gorgeous home that I love being in that, you know, I, I wake up and go, wow, what a wonderful place. You know, I would have been even just, this is just the external stuff, but I would have been surrounded by bottles, waking up sick, sweaty. In mis- I thought there was something wrong with me that I would always wake up sweaty Turns out that's an that's an alcohol thing. Um, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that. I thought it was just me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the relationships, you know, the fact that I've faced all the people that I've harmed and done my best. And of course, we can't make all those things right. But I've done my best, and I don't have to. I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to not go to that party because that person might be there, and I just can't face them again. You know, I don't have to do that anymore. If I, if I had not stopped drinking, I would have still been so isolated and I'm sure it would have gotten a lot worse, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And But most importantly, the feeling of peace and freedom. I thought that freedom meant having enough booze to get me smashed and no one to bother me and no commitments to interrupt me, you know. I, that's what I thought freedom was. But today I see it as something much different. And it's this feeling that I don't need to be tethered to anything that does not matter what happens in this world, including to me, I will be okay. And if I'm not okay, the only thing I need to change in order to be okay is myself, you know. Mm. Um, My perspective, it's always my perspective, and that's complete freedom for me because I can't have, nothing can be wrong. Like if that is true, then nothing can be wrong except my attitude. And my attitude is so easy to change as long as I'm willing to change it. And I get to live in peace today. Like I don't, and that's not to say I always do. Like I still have plenty of, plenty of problems, plenty of faults, plenty of arguments with myself, plenty of, you know, um, flaws. None of us are perfect, but, you know, oftentimes I get to have these moments of total peace where everything is right and I just look around and I say, oh, my God, my life is perfect. You know, it's flawed, but it's perfect. Um, Mm. And I never have got to experience that. Yes, yes, yes. And can I just say there's another T-shirt, flawed but perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful observation. What a beautiful thing to say. Just amazing. If you could, so I ask everyone on this podcast the same mm. question. If you could go back to 14-year-old Lindsay that was there mm. drinking with her friend who got carted off to hospital, what would you tell her? What would you tell that young version of yourself? I think I'd just say it's going to be okay, you know. It's going to get real bad. It's going to be real painful, but it's going to be okay. And everything that you're about to go through is going to be so helpful to somebody else you know this is this is the beautiful thing about recovery is that the worst things I did the most shameful secrets I had now become these wonderful tools to help somebody else who's going through the same thing 
you know, and, and, and in AA I've worked with a lot of women and, and it's incredible to me that almost all of us have had the same experiences, the same struggles, the same stories, you know, in different contexts, but really the feelings were the same. And um, to be able to say, yeah, I felt like that, this is what I did, and to see that person apply that in their life and get their own freedom, it makes every bit of the pain worth it. So that's the only message I would have. I wouldn't want to do anything differently, even though I made terrible mistakes because it's got me to where I am today. Thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story. You are incredible. And I really hope to catch up with you again in the future and see where you're at. And yeah, you're just amazing. Keep going. Thank you so much, Danny, And thank you so much for having me. Love what you do. It's a beautiful thing to be, you know, sharing these stories of recovery and sharing your own experience. Really appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.